Welcome to Lakers Carpool. My name is James Brooks. I'm your host. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. We've got a lot to talk about. We've had the trade deadline come and go. We've had the Lakers play three games since my last episode. We've had the Lakers make some action on the buyout market. We've had Kobe statue unveiling. There's a lot to talk about, so we're just going to jump right on into it. So since my last episode, the trade deadline came and went last Thursday, and the Lakers didn't make a move. Now, there was a lot of people on Twitter really upset by the fact that the Lakers didn't make a move, that they're mad with the front office, mad with Rob Palinka. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell how many of those people are just LeBron stands, right? They're they're mad that Rob Palinka didn't do something for LeBron after he tweeted out the Time's Up emoji. He didn't go out and make a big trade and all that stuff. And there were some actual legit Laker fans who were also upset that Rob didn't go out and make a move, that we didn't bring in a bona fide superstar to play alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron James, or we didn't go out and make a move and, and bring in someone to help replace Jared Vanderbilt or some of the guys that have been injured lately. And to that I say, what did you expect? We talked a lot about the trade deadline on this podcast, and my big thing was, you know, the, the big the big rumors were, were that the Lakers were going to go out and try and trade for DeJounte Murray for someone like D'Angelo Russell, but then it turned out that the Hawks wanted probably Austin Reeves as opposed to D'Angelo Russell for DeJounte Murray, and then the Lakers said, no, I think we're good. We're going to hold on to Austin Reeves. He's still young. He played well in the playoffs last season. We're not just going to trade him right now. Someone like DeJounte Murray, you know, I hemmed and hawed about it for a few weeks in terms of, like, whether it was worth making the trade. You know, if it was D'Angelo Russell for DeJounte Murray, it's probably an upgrade, right? Like, the 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 offense is probably a bit of a wash there DeJounte Murray probably provides a little more defense than D'Angelo Russell does but D'Angelo Russell's been playing well and you know people say well that's just trade deadline D'Angelo Russell you know he's playing well to try and stay on the team or not to get traded or whatever um but I don't know so I hemmed and hot about the DeJounte Murray thing if it happened I wouldn't have been upset by it but if it didn't happen I wouldn't be upset by it I was pretty neutral towards it but if I if I had a gun to my head, I would have said, yeah, if you can trade D'Angelo Russell for DeJounte Murray, go ahead and do it. Wasn't the case. The Hawks didn't want to do that. So, you know, there was a quote that Rob had that you can't buy a house that's not for sale. That was kind of the situation there. DeJounte Murray wasn't for sale, at least for not for what the Lakers were willing to trade him for. And it seems like that was the case for a lot of guys that the Lakers wanted. The Laker tax, I think it's a real thing. We've had people comment about it, people that have legit sources and stuff that the Lakers want you know it, the the Laker film room podcast guys had a good analogy I think it was uh they had a good analogy on when you're you know you're barter, bartering in maybe a different country or something and if you're if you're a seller you see someone walk up and in, in some Louis Vuitton some Gucci whatever you might raise your price a little bit you might be like hey you know what are you willing to pay for this x you know insert item here for someone that walks up with some rat ratty shoes and torn clothes or someone, you know, someone that doesn't look like they have quite as much money, you might not try and ask for as much from them. And I think there is a little bit of truth to that with the Lakers, right? Like the Lakers are a quote unquote wealthy franchise. They have a lot of history. If you're going to make a move with the Lakers, you want to try and get the most out of them as you can because the Lakers are, you know, because they're so wealthy and rich and stuff in theory, they're more willing to give up things like a first round draft pick if it means that they could go out and become contenders try and contend for a title 
So in that sense, I do think that the Laker tax is a real thing when it comes to the trade market. It's hard to barter with teams on these deals for, for potential trades when the asking price is different. You look at what happened with Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald at one point for the Lakers was going for multiple first-round picks. And at this trade deadline, he went for next to nothing. So it, it's hard to to look at that and be like, yeah, we're we're all playing fair in 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 good faith and all that stuff. I think things are a little different when it comes to the to the Lakers. So even if there are players to go out and get, I don't know that they were worth getting for what other teams were asking for. And that's where Rob Polinka's quote comes in in terms of you can't buy houses not for sale. You can't buy or or at the very least when you're not seeing eye to eye on terms or if you're not seeing eye to eye on price, things like that. Like you just can't you know, the Lakers aren't willing to to bend over backwards to trade Austin Reeves or Austin Reeves plus multiple first round picks, things like that. The only real good tradable contract was D'Angelo Russell's and no one seemed to buy into the hot streak that D'Angelo Russell had in, in the month of January. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's for, for good reason. D'Angelo Russell is definitely a, a, a spacey player in the sense of like he's inconsistent and he'll have months where he's really really good and he'll have months where he averages 10 points a game so it can be hard to when he's your number one trade piece you're not going to get a ton back for it which goes back to the whole point of like the lakers not making a trade doesn't really change much for me right if Dejounte murray was the best guy we could have gotten for d'angelo russell in theory that moves the needle slightly but not enough for us to be going and and be hands down contenders with Denver and the Clippers and Minnesota and Oklahoma City if those teams are for real. So in that sense, like I don't feel too I don't feel much regarding the trade deadline. I I didn't expect much. I there wasn't anyone out there where I was like, oh yeah, that's someone we we want to get. Because you have to think like what are you having to give up to get certain guys? We already have Cam Reddish, Gabe Vincent, and jared vanderbilt hurt our best defenders so in my mind okay what's the best thing you could do on the trade deadline or around the buyout market or whatever is bring in a guy that can fill that role while we're dealing with the injuries help bolster up the defense a little bit uh but at the end of the day like what are you gonna have to give up to get those guys you're gonna have to give up a ruri hachimura you're gonna have to give up d'angelo russell right so it's like to bring in a guy who might not be as good offensively as d'angelo d'angelo russell might not be as versatile as Rui Hachimura and again these are these are guys that are all pr- pretty young you know Rui's pretty early in his career still he has a lot of developing to do he could still turn into a good 3 and D wing player who's versatile who can guard someone like Jokic albeit not perfectly but he can he can step up and guard someone like Jokic and he can go out on the perimeter you know he's not quite as quick as someone like Jared Vanderbilt so he's not going to be able to step up and really cover a Steph Curry for instance but but he can hold his own around the perimeter defensively, right? So you trade someone like Rui Hachimura for what, right? For someone that can play defense that I mean Rui Rui can play defense when he steps up if he's if he's engaged and, and all that stuff. Like I don't know. I just don't think that there was anyone real really worth trading on our end. And I don't know that there was really worth anyone trading for on the other end. I mean and maybe I'm just not thinking of something, but I at this point I just don't when people were complaining on Twitter, I'm like, okay, well, what is the what 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 was a trade that you wanted to see? Give me a specific trade that you wanted to see the Lakers make. 
and no one could i didn't see one specific example that other than like DeJounte Murray for D'Angelo Russell but that was off the table at that point so trade deadline comes and goes Lakers don't make a move and I don't feel that bad about I mean like they're you know you listen to Bill Simmons or NBA ringer or or mismatch or whatever and like everyone's like the most shocking thing was that the Lakers didn't make a move at the trade deadline it's like was it really you know obviously these people are they cover the nba generally and they're not fans of specific teams or they don't cover specific teams you know they're not beat writers or whatever like that so i can't fault them too much but what was the move that they were going to make you know that really that moved the needle enough to make it worth you know instead you hold on to your assets you keep d'angelo russell hopefully you know d'angelo russell's contract i think expires at the end of the year so like he would have to be he could walk or he'd have to be resigned or get get an extension but I think the Lakers have basically they get three first round picks after the season or they'll have three first round picks that are tradable at the end of the season you have young still have a young deep team with Rui and Jared Vanderbilt uh you know Gabe Vincent if he you know if he can never get healthy again Gabe Vincent is still someone that I'd love to see pan out obviously Anthony Davis is 30 years old you know the only one that's really old on the team is is LeBron James and he's still playing great so so you know hold on to your asset like don't move mountains for next to nothing at this trade deadline when you could go out and maybe you can bring in Trey Young at the end of the season in the offseason maybe you can bring in Donovan Mitchell at the end of the season and you can bring in someone that actually does move the needle and make this team a legit contender you know I think I would say the Lakers right now with how they've been playing they're they're contender light right like they're not they're not a team that you you know you'd bet money on making the western conference finals again or making the finals this season but i could see a run happening again like like last season you know it's practically the same team if you know if jared vanderbilt can get healthy and cam reddish and and gabe vincent if these guys can get healthy and the defense can step up their game and the offense can continue playing with the efficiency that they've been playing with you know, why why not? You know, if you get a good matchup in the first round, if you get OKC in the first round, kind of similar to last season. Memphis was like the number two seed last season. You know, they're a great regular season team. The Lakers struggled against them in the regular season. Come playoff time, able to win that series in six games. You get another good matchup against Golden State. You got more size than them. You have aging stars in Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Steph Curry is a defensive they're both defensive liabilities out there, right? Like there's a lot to exploit if you're the Lakers, you know. And that's not to say that we'll we'll match up with them again, but just for instance, you come across a team like that, maybe you come across a team like the Kings, you know. The only teams that I'm really afraid of matchup-wise, Denver number 1. I don't love the Clippers and I don't love Minnesota for the Lakers, right? The Minnesota they got size. You know, the, the Lakers do well against teams that don't play with a ton of size just because they're the ones that have, you know, between Anthony Davis and Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood and Rui Murray and LeBron James, you have a lot of size on that team that you can exploit teams that like to play small ball. Um, You know, we if Jared Vanderbilt if Jared Vanderbilt isn't healthy or Cam Reddish isn't healthy, I don't like the Clippers because of, you know, Kawhi and Ball George and James Harden. You have a lot of wing wing players, point of attack type players that are hard to to slow down and then um same thing with Denver right Denver is just they're insane they hit shots like crazy Jamal Murray you know without Jared Vanderbilt we don't have anyone that can really slow down Jamal Murray Michael Porter Jr. just goes lights out when he plays us 
he, he just goes unconscious shooting threes. <laughs> and then Jokic is, he's, he's obviously, I mean, he's one of the best players in the league, right? Like I, before the playoffs last season, I said, I liked the matchup against the Nuggets for the Lakers in the Western Conference finals with, and, and this might just expose me for the fact that I just didn't watch a lot of the Nuggets <laughs> during the regular season. But in my mind, I still had Jokic as a guy who didn't play great defense and Anthony Davis being a great defender and being big. I pictured him being a guy that could slow down and or stop Jokic. And neither of those things were true. Jokic maybe still not be great defensively. You know, he's not someone that's going to be winning defensive player of the year, but he's a big body. And as much as I love Anthony Davis, he just struggled against you know, I mean, he had a, he had a good game in like game one where he scored forty points or almost forty points. He he struggled. He just wasn't consistent, and he wasn't consistent offensively all playoffs last season. If we're being fair, but you put a big body like Jokic in front of him, and he struggled a little bit. And then defensively, Jokic is just so big that even though Anthony Davis is still a great defender, uh, Jokic just overpowered him from a size standpoint. So from a matchup standpoint, I, it's not it's not as great as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, so. All that being said is the Lakers having this young core of guys that are athletic and and can bring energy on any given night and can step up and play defense. There's no reason the Lakers couldn't make a run with the with the roster constructed as it is considering Jared Vanderbilt, Cam Reddish, those guys are able to get healthy Max Christie. So all that being said is I'm not that mad about the trade deadline. Um and then the buyout bio market happens and the Lakers sign Spencer Dinwiddie. So we we bring in a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who's, uh, you know, he he's been a starter on teams. You know, he was a starter. He played alongside Luca with the Mavs. They made a Western Conference Finals run. Um, he started for Brooklyn. You know, and again, Brooklyn isn't the best team, so like him starting for Brooklyn doesn't necessarily mean much. But he is a guy who has been a starter in the NBA as a point guard, which is great. And so, like, if we can bring if we can bring a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench, and he can lead the second unit as a point guard, like a six man type guy that can come out and lead the lead the second unit, then I love that. You know, I mean, I think I would have rather seen if I was guessing on who the Lakers would try and get on in the buyout market. I would think that they would go and get like a Marcus Morris, someone that can be more of a wing defender, and and again step up in place for. Jared Vanderbilt and those guys, but maybe the Lakers not making that move and not doing that tells me that Jared Vanderbilt will be, will be back sooner than we expect, and maybe Gabe Vincent won't be as back as soon as we expect. So that's kind of like what that tells me there. At least that's that's what you know. Reading between the lines, that's what I'm. That's what I would I would assume. So maybe we see these guys come back sooner than later. And at the end of the day, Spencer Dinwiddie was just the best player out on the market for the Lakers to get. So in that sense, you think about it as like a draft or something, even if he doesn't fit the needs perfectly, you just go out and get the best player. Because at that point, he's going to offer, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie can offer offensively things that other guys won't. And at the end of the day, he's just the best player on the market. So you go out and get him. You add the best player you can, and hopefully he helps the roster. Does Spencer Dinwiddie move the needle a ton and make the Lakers a contender? No, he doesn't. But he does fill a need from a backup point guard standpoint that Gabe Vincent wasn't filling because of his injuries. And now the the only risk here is seeing the three guard lineups that that Darvinham plays, you know, Dinwiddie alongside Reeves and, and D'Angelo Russell, but it's going to happen regardless. The question is how often it happens and, and things like that. And when it does, the context of it, does it make sense when it's happening and things like that? So at the end of the day, 
the the Spencer Dinwiddie signing, I like it. I think he can bring something to the table for the Lakers and and help from a from a second unit standpoint, coming off the bench and and whatnot. So, looking at the games the Lakers played since the trade deadline, we played the Nuggets on the night of the trade deadline, the night of the Kobe unveiling. The Lakers wore their Black Mamba uniforms, and it was a good game for the most part. The Lakers played pretty well, I'd say. Lakers came out and played with good effort and all that stuff, which is which is great. But it's the it's the the bar is in the ground, right? Like the bar is not high if that's what your expectation is. If you, if your expectation for the Lakers to come out and play against the best team in the league is to play play with effort, then it's just that's just sad in my opinion. The Lakers were it was a close game with a few couple minutes left. You know it was like a hundred to a hundred or hundred four to hundred four, and the Lakers just could not stop the Nuggets from hitting big shots. Which we ha- it's it's like the story that keeps on going. It, it's the same story just in a different game, right? Like Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. hitting big shots, and, and and Jokic. You know, Jokic hit like one of those crazy shot clock winding down, Lakers playing good defense, threes that just are backbreakers. So you have that. You have, um, you know, it was 104 to 104 with like two minutes left. I had tweeted out during the game, like, if Lakers can't find a way to shut down or to at least get a hand in the face of Jamal Murray – and Michael Porter Jr., they're not going to win this game. And then about five minutes later, uh, they went off and hit three, four threes in a row to make it like a, to go on like a 12 to two run or a 14 to two run or something like that. Ended up winning the game. And it was Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. twice, I think. And they just killed it. You know, they killed us. It was uh, Austin Reeves overhelped on a pass that left Michael Porter Jr. wide open. And to be fair, even if Austin Reeves was up on him, you know. He's not Austin Reeves at six five isn't doing much to stop a six ten Michael Porter Jr. Uh, his shot, but at least like maybe you stop him from even getting the pass in the first place. But he like overhelped, like he went for the steal. He was way out there. He was not getting back, and even even if he was getting back, it was not gonna help much. Um, you had one play where I'm trying to remember. I can't remember who was playing defense on Jamal Murray at the time. Maybe it was D'Angelo Russell. I don't know, but they went under the screen on him. Jamal Murray hit wide open for a three because they went under the screen, which makes zero sense to me. I don't understand why we're going under screens on guys like Jamal Murray who have shown that they can hit the big threes against us. But anyways, it is what it is. It happened. Uh, Lakers don't get the win. Uh, again, another another game with Lakers don't get a win on a on a big game, right? It's a big game with like the, you had the Kobe statue unveiling. You have them wearing the black Mamba uniforms. And we can't get it done. Lose 114 to 106. Um did I expect the Lakers to win the game? Not really, but I mean, they played well enough to be in the game, you know, and, and if you're playing well enough to be in the game, then I expect you to do what, what needs to be done to win the game, but they just couldn't do it. Anthony Davis had a big game with 32 points. Um, let's see. LeBron had 25 points. Austin Reese had 15. Max Christie. Oh, D'Angelo Russell didn't play. So it was probably, <laughs> Ma- oh no. And then Max Christie got hurt. I think in this game, so he only played, only played 15 minutes. Um, it's probably Torian Prince guarding Jamal Murray on that play, if I had to guess. Regardless, the Lakers aren't able to get it done, and they lose to the Nuggets, which was, again, an unfortunate loss, especially surrounding the Kobe um, statue unveiling, which was really cool if you guys got to, got to watch it. If you didn't, definitely go back and watch the ceremony and everything. It was cool hearing from guys like Kareem and Phil Jackson and Derek Fisher. Vanessa was great, as always. And they unveiled the statue, which I did not guess was going to be a statue of him after he had scored 81 points but it kind of makes sense honestly you know I was kind of going for something that was around us 
surrounding like a championship, a championship win that Kobe had thinking about like after they won against the Celtics in 2010, or maybe even like a fadeaway shot, something like an action type shot. But if you think back on Kobe's career, you know, if you're thinking about him as a player individually, what was his greatest accolade as an individual player? It was probably his 81 point game. You know, I mean, the championships are great as a fan and for him, it's like a, for the team and the franchise and stuff, obviously, obviously those championships are more important than him scoring 81 points. But if you're thinking about him as a player, like what game identifies Kobe as a player? And it's probably that 81 point game. So I, I like the statue for that reason. It's unique. No, you know, other players have won championships. No other player has scored 81 points in the game aside from uh, Wilt Chamberlain. If, if, if he even did it, you know, don't even have footage of it. So um, the 81 point game pose is special. And I, I like that for, for him. And then there was, they, they, they shared that they're going to be unveiling two more statues, one with him and Gigi, and then another one of, I think him wearing number 24. So two more statues to look forward to. I'm, they didn't say when, or, you know, when those are going to happen or anything like that, but uh, it was fun. It was a nice way to, again, any way that we can commemorate and, and remember Kobe and all that stuff is always a, a good, a good thing. And it's, fun feels wrong because it's around him and him, him passing away and stuff but but it's always just fun as a fan to kind of remember the good times and remember him playing for the Lakers and, and all that stuff so the statue unveiling unveiling was fun uh the players getting to wear their black the black mamba uniforms again was fun the Lakers not winning the game against the Nuggets not fun <laughs> but the Lakers bounced back well they had a back-to-back game against the Nug or the Pelicans the the night after that and they went out and had a great game. They won 139 to 122. D'Lo was back. He played uh, against the Pelicans. It was funny because people were saying that D'Lo being hurt was, or D'Lo being out against Denver was, you know, a sign that he was going to get traded, but it didn't happen. D'Lo led the Lakers with 30 points. This game was insane because all five starters for the Lakers scored 20 plus points. You had Reeves with 27, D'Lo with 30, LeBron with 21, Rui had 21, and AD had 20. Uh, off the bench, there wasn't a ton going on because most of the scoring was in the starting lineup. Torian Prince had three points, Christian Wood had nine points, Jackson Hayes had six points, um, Skyler Mays had two points. Um, and that's another reason, going back to the Dinwiddie thing, why that made sense for the Lakers to go and pick up Dinwiddie is because at this point, we were playing Skyler Mays that are back up like, basically our backup point guard, which he looked pretty good and he looked pretty comfortable out there. But at the end of the day, I'd rather have Spencer Dinwiddie than Spencer Mays out there. So no, you know, no hate to Spencer Mays, but it just is what it is. So the Lakers get a nice win against the the Pelicans. And that's a good win from a standing standpoint. You know, we've been talking about that, doing some standings watching lately. And I've said how the Lakers, there's, there's a lot of space to make up and there's, teams that are ahead of us that are ahead of by a lot of you know a handful of games you're looking at the team in the eighth seed is like two games ahead of us it's not even like half a game or something which is what it was like last year so getting a getting a win against the pelicans uh who were 30 and 22 after that game is, is good because they they're uh one of the teams ahead of us so any head any head-to-head matchups where we can make some headway in the standings is huge and then the lakers went on last night we had, so then we had a long break for the weekend, you know, no game pretty much from Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we had a game 
yesterday, which was Tuesday. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we had the Lakers head off and then played a game against the Pistons last night, which the Pistons are awful. You know, they're 8-45. and 45, And the Lakers won the game pretty convincingly. We ended up winning 125-111. to 111. I think the Lakers, the biggest lead the Lakers had in that game was like 24 points. Uh, it was never really a close game. There was a few times where the Pistons made a run and got it with under you know got it within single digits which was a little worrisome but the Lakers always bounced back and, and answered we had LeBron had 25 D'Lo had 21 Reeves had 15 AD had 20 Rui had 15 so another good a good another good showing from the starting five you know everyone scoring 15 plus points against Detroit um Christian Wood had 11 points off the bench this was the first game that Spencer didn't Spencer Dinwiddie played he played 31 minutes he went two for six, had six points, uh, so not not too much there for how many minutes he played. But you know he's still getting getting into a rhythm. You know you can't really judge off of one game, especially his first game and all that stuff. So Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench, thirty one minutes. Uh, there was a lot of the three guard lineup. I felt like every time I was you know I was kind of watching off and on, just had to kind of had the game on in the background for the majority of the night up until like the mid of the, mid mid third quarter on I, I was watching a little closer but um, it seemed like every time I looked up it was Reeves D'Lo and Dinwiddie in the game and I was like I don't know how I feel about this I mean it's against the Pistons so it is what it is like you know you're probably winning that game regardless of who who you put out there but um, wasn't loving all the three guard lineup stuff but again you get the win it is what it is uh, you know Ham does have to kind of figure out the, the rotations and how he wants to play these guys and all that stuff and three guard lineups are going to happen it's just a matter of like how often and and, and in what situations and things like that so lakers play again tonight the back-to-back again in utah so this is a tough back-to-back because you play last night then you have to hop on the plane and uh, if you listen to laker film room podcast i know i reference them a lot on this podcast but they're probably my favorite lakers podcast to listen to myself um mike trudell who's you know sideline reporter for the lakers on spectrum he gave a little insight as to what the travel is like for one of these back-to-backs you know so the lakers take off last night after the game they're not getting into utah until 2 a.m 3 a.m probably um utah i think they're an hour ahead of us in at least on the west coast or in california they're like an hour ahead of us so then you lose an hour on top of that besides you know plus getting in late and you just played a game the night before so from a rest standpoint and all that stuff not a whole lot of time to recover which is tough um and you know back-to-backs are tough in general so lebron last night said he's not playing uh in tonight's game against utah so that's unfortunate it's a little interesting that he decided you know again i don't know who makes these decisions if it's just lebron that tells the team like hey i'm playing this night or i'm not playing this night but for lebron to play against detroit but then to sit out against Utah when, like, in theory, Detroit's probably the easier win without LeBron. Utah's the – again, Utah's not good. They're, like, 26 and 28 right now. But they have, you know, between Colin Sexton and Laurie Markkinen, you know, they have guys that can give you trouble. Uh, you know, Clarkson, these guys that always come out and play – you know, every team comes out and plays the Lakers well because it's, it's Lakers. You know, the Lakers are coming to town. you got LeBron, Anthony Davis, all that stuff. So LeBron says he's not playing – you would think that you, LeBron would play, that he would have switched it, right? Sit out, if you're going to sit out one of the games, sit out against Detroit. Um, easier win in theory. And then, and it's an Eastern Conference opponent as opposed to Utah, who's a little bit tougher of an op- opponent, and they're a Western Conference team. So, like, 
losing to them head-to-head in theory could hurt you in the long run in the standings. But it is what it is. No LeBron against Utah tonight. There's no reason that we shouldn't still win without LeBron, but especially with all the injuries between Vanderbilt and, and Reddish and, and all that stuff, not having LeBron on top of that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a starting lineup that's Dinwiddie, Reeves, D'Lo, Rui, Anthony Davis. That's my guess for the starting lineup for tonight against Utah. And, you know, it is what it is. We're playing shorthanded and we got to put our best foot forward and, and go out and try and get a win. But I would almost rather see D'Lo, Reeves, uh, Rui, Jackson Hayes, and Anthony Davis. That would be my starting lineup for the game against Utah, especially because Utah has size. You know, Lori's, Lori Markinen, seven foot tall. Um, you got who's what's the guy's name? Gosh, why can't I remember his name? Uh, do 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 Walker Kessler, seven foot tall, big man. Um, you know, Otto Porter Jr., six eight. Uh, who else they have that's tall John Collins is 6'9 they're a pretty big team you know so going up against them as a uh, as a small ball team or smaller team with three guard a three guard lineup team don't love it I mean we're gonna see it again a ton because especially without LeBron right you're gonna put in theory your better players out there and he's probably you know Ham's probably gonna put Dinwiddie and get him a little more playing time and all that stuff which is fine I mean Dinwiddie's a good enough player that he can go out and, and play well against a team like Utah. I'm not worried about that necessarily more just the matchup and stuff. I, you know, hopefully it's, hopefully it's Hayes, AD, Rui, D'Lo, Austin Reeves in the starting lineup, but I'd be surprised if that's the case. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, all-star break comes up soon after, I think after, after Utah, we have the all-star break and then we have a weird pulling up the schedule. We have a weird month of, of February after um so we have this game in utah and then we have a nice long break for the all-star break right from february 15th to the 21st no games and then we play at golden state and then we play against the spurs at home back to back and then a game on sunday so we have one day one day off then we play the suns in phoenix and then two days off and then we come back and we play the Kings or the Kings, the Clippers. Um, obviously it's an away game, but obviously we're playing it in LA. So it's basically a home game. And then a back-to-back against Washington at home. Um, so in one sense you could look at it and be like, okay, lots of days off, you know, obviously part of that's because of the all-star break. Um, but then whenever you have a back-to-back, you know, you're going to get a few days off after the back-to-back. So you have a few days off. So, you know, I'm curious what, what the NBA players prefer, you know, would you prefer just to play every other day or every every two days or whatever or do you like the back-to-back games and then getting you know three to four days off between those games um but it's definitely a funky schedule for the lakers in february which in one sense the teams that we're playing not too tough you know we should be able to beat the warriors well starting with the jazz we should be able to beat the jazz the warriors the spurs um the suns you know and when we've beaten them multiple times this season already they're they've kind of gotten into a stride this season a little bit um, it's going to be a tough game, but there's no reason we couldn't win that game. Um, Clippers, same situation, right? Like they've gotten into a stride more so, um, but we've beaten them also this season. So no reason we couldn't beat them again, uh, but still going to be tough. And then the Wizards who are, are bad, right? So no reason we can't beat the Wizards. So in theory, the, you know, there's one, two, three, four, five, six games in left in February. 
in February, and two of those games are are probably tougher games. The Warriors, I feel like, is on the fence, right? Like, that's a game where we easily could lose it, but we should win 100%. You know, just look back at the game where we played double overtime against them. There's no reason we should have gone to double overtime against the Warriors. We Obviously, Steph is going to do Steph things, and if Clay gets hot and, and Kaminga's been playing well and blah, 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 you know, it is what it is. But um, for the rest of the month, there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to go like four and four and two five and one you know that's like a realistic expectation especially if the lakers are getting into a stride and trying to make a run to get out of the playing tournament um but the weirdness of the schedule where it's a bunch of back-to-backs that makes it even harder you know you go from you know a tough game against the warriors when we come back from the all-star break to then playing back-to-back against the spurs who again the spurs aren't good but they have one binyama we already lost to them this season in a terrible game earlier this season so and then same thing with the Clippers and the and the Wizards right you play a tough team in the Clippers then back to back you have to play the Wizards who again are not good but again if you're playing in the NBA you you come into a game unprepared not ready to give full effort and energy and all that stuff and you can lose to some bad teams so I think this uh between the back-to-backs we had with Denver and New Orleans and then this back-to-back series with the Pistons in Utah, you know, we split the back-to-back with Denver and the Pelicans, but the Pelicans are a decent, you know, they, they're they eight games above 500, something like that. Uh, we were able to come out and beat them pretty convincingly. We got a nice win against the Pistons, as we should. So hopefully we don't split this back-to-back situation, um, and we can go into the All-Star break four games above 500 and then keep making a run after the All-Star break. So the rest of, the rest of February is definitely very winnable. With a few, with a couple of tough games sprinkled in there, um, but there's no reason that the Lakers' playoff, you know, run can't start now in terms of getting out of the play-in tournament. Hopefully, some landing somewhere, potentially making a run for the sixth seed, maybe the fifth seed. Um, you know, looking at the standings, uh, the Lakers are currently in the ninth seed, still three games above 500. Sacramento's in the eighth seed. We're two games behind Sacramento. Um, Sacramento has been struggling in general. New Orleans, who we just beat pretty convincingly, they're 10 games above 500, 32 and 22 in the sixth seed. So we're three and a half games back on them. Uh, Phoenix is the same, has the same record as New Orleans, New Orleans. So three and a half games back of the fifth seed. So again, one, like I've said before, four games back, four games plus back, maybe even three games is really tough to, to make up. Um, in this case, you know, I think the Lakers, uh, looking at the Lakers. Okay. We play the Pelicans one more time in April. So there's a chance there. Um, we, how many times do we play the Suns still? We play the Suns probably only one more time. Yeah. We only play the Suns one more time, but yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be tough to to make up that headway. You're going to have to really hope these teams really struggle and they lose and stuff. But um, the Warriors game is also really important because we are one game ahead of them, and they're in the 10th seed. They're 26 and 25. So that Warriors game coming up after the All-Star break is going to be a big game, an important game for the Lakers to win. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like Phoenix and New Orleans – it seems like getting out of the plan is going to be tough unless New Orleans hits a wall and they just end up losing a bunch. 
but um, never say never. It, it, it's possible if the Lakers can go on a run and, and keep winning some big games and, and beat their Western Conference opponents and, and New Orleans. You know, they, they're going to need a little bit of help from New Orleans and Phoenix and Dallas and those teams that are ahead of them, but it's definitely doable. So we'll see what happens. We have one more game before the All-Star break. We can take a little break and enjoy some All-Star festivities before worrying about, you know, coming back and really worrying about the playoffs and where the Lakers are going to end up at the end of the season if we're going to have to play in the playing tournament or if we can somehow make it out again or play play in the playing tournament again or somehow make it out. And especially if we can get – I mean, if we're going to be in the playing tournament, obviously you want to be either the seventh or the eighth seed so that you only need one win in order to get into the playoffs. You don't want to be in the ninth or tenth seed where you have to win two games just to get get into the playoffs. Especially with the Lakers, with LeBron being so old and stuff, you just want to really not play as many games as you have to. You know, you don't have to, you already have to win sixteen games to win the finals. You don't want to have to play two more. You don't you don't you don't want to have to win eighteen games to win the finals. Let's leave it at sixteen. Seventeen is bad enough if you're you know seventh or eighth seed. So we'll see what happens. Lakers have been playing well so far. Hopefully they can keep up the offense. Hopefully we can get someone like Jared Vanderbilt back. We can get some defense back in those guys. We can get Dinwiddie involved in the offense and kind of flown with the team and really go out and, and make a run and, and try and prove to the Western Conference that we are legit. And, you know, I, I have hope. I've been burned by the Lakers many times before, but I have hope. I think that the Lakers can make a run. Um, if anything, you know, last season is a, is a nice proof of even though we were in the play-in tournament, we were able to make it to the Western Conference Finals, and I don't think there's any reason why that can't still be our goal as a team and as a fan base. Even, you know, I think the Western Conference is definitely still as tough or tougher this season than it was last season, but doesn't mean that we can't go out and beat teams like Dallas and Sacramento and New Orleans and Phoenix and all that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. It's been a fun one. Thank you all for listening, and go Lakers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Lakers Carpool. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share it on social media with your friends. You can find the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or most places where you listen to podcasts. Again, thank you so much for listening, and go Lakers! 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers!